This is Our Anxiety Stories, the Anxiety Canada podcast with John Bacon. This is the place where people from all walks of life share their anxiety stories to remind you that you are not alone. If you have an anxiety story you'd like to share, contact us at anxietycanada.com slash ouranxietystories. This is John Bateman, and you're listening to Our Anxiety Stories, the Anxiety Canada podcast, which can be found at anxietycanada.com slash ouranxietystories or any of your popular podcast platforms. My guest today is Dr. Karosh Edelati, who is a medical director and CEO at Iliamine Centers for Brain Excellence, a private outpatient healthcare center specializing in optimizing brain functions through various neurotherapeutic modalities. Welcome, Dr. Karosh Edelati. Thank you, John, for having me. I start off my podcast with the title, as always. So, um, Dr. Edelati, what is your anxiety story? Oh, which one should I start with? <laughs> <laughs> anyone. You can start with anyone. Um, so, one of the anxiety stories I have is about um, this uh, young man who came from another country. And um, he basically had been a child soldier in his own country. Uh, and... Uh, when he saw the uh, center, um, it started triggering him right, right away uh, to the extent that he could not think or, you know, that could, it's a typical panic reaction, uh, I suppose you can call it. He couldn't think. He was breathing fast. His heart rate was going 200 miles an hour. Um, and, you know, I was just very curious because our center is actually very serene very zen right mm -hmm. and so the i was asking myself well how is this uh, young man getting triggered like this and what i discovered was that uh he had been um told what to do ah and so he the the persons who were the family who was with him i, I think it was actually a family friend was trying to get him into the office to <laughs> to be interviewed by me oh, and just that that small little thing to most people it's so um basic like it's so small but for for him it was so immensely triggering mm -hmm. um and so anyways we proceeded to calm him down which was uh you know and he saw that we're not here to recruit him into going and uh, doing anything bad yeah. rather just trying to help him yeah, but that's just an example of what anxiety can do to a person, mm -hmm. and then obviously he has background of trauma, background of uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, mm -hmm. um, and that trauma has many triggers, and the triggers um, are easily, um, I guess, um, picked up by the nervous system of this young man, and he just just goes off. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just like a fight, fight or flight response, really. But the anxiety reaction, um, it's its in everybody. Every one of us has it. Every one of mm -hmm. us has triggers. Every one of us has um, you know, resilience to deal with it at times. And at times, we don't have that. So mm -hmm. we start having panic reactions. We start feeling stressed out. Mm -hmm. And it was no different in this young man. Yeah, and that that story that that stood out for me just because yeah. of the of the of the really subtle response to his environment. Yeah. So um, what what I mean just to quickly cover that what what was his 
like did you did could you detect that something was happening with him and and what exactly did that look like and then you know you said that you calmed him down kind of what did that look like too just to kind of brush over that because that's that's kind of important if somebody finds himself in that situation yeah so uh seeing his body react first so usually anxiety is is when somebody's having a panic attack such as that you see the body tensing up mm-hmm. you know you see the face sometimes flushing and mm-hmm. and i could see him tensing up i could see that anxiety rising up and then uh and then of course he went to a full-blown panic attack mm-hmm. um and you know, it's not always like that. Sometimes anxiety is very subtle when someone yeah. just just has a, their mind running commentaries and worries, right? Mm-hmm. The what if situation. Sometimes the anxiety could be um, about you know being in a public place. You know, some, such, such a social anxiety, right? So it mm-hmm. could be subtle or it could be extreme, like this. Panic reaction is usually an extreme anxiety reaction. And so for me, the biggest thing was to identify why he was being triggered. Um, And of course, when the person is in a panic reaction or in such a big anxiety attack, you know, the brakes of the brain are off. So we call those uh, prefrontal cortex brains. So the person is going right to their amygdala, which are the kind of the heightened emotion centers of the brain. And they're off to the races. So right. it's very difficult to bring them from here down to a logical, rational level. So what we do is usually we start with a physiological calming down. Um, before we go to talk to them, we just mm-hmm. focus on physiology. And, you know, of course, breathing is a very big component of um, reducing anxiety and improving the physiological state that we want them to be in before we can engage them in a conversation. Mm-hmm. And this is exactly what we did with him. Um, just have him um, breathe, have some water. Um, you know, you, you also start using your voice a little bit because you don't want to, you want to really reduce that anxiety by having a very calm um, kind of um, uh, settling down, I guess, tone of voice, if you want to call it. Mm-hmm. And that really helped him. He um, calmed down uh, and then we could just uh, have a conversation. Of course, you know, you have to know some of these techniques. That's why you do psychiatry or you go to medical school. But, um, but you know, in, in, even if the average person is having this reaction, uh, breath work is always a very fantastic way of um, calming the anxiety down. Yeah. It, so you're, you are a psychiatrist. Yes. Yeah. And, and so you learned, you know, I guess an interesting question that pops up, you know, before we move on to, you know, what you do with, with your, at your treatment center, but um, it's just an interesting point, you know, that you, you're educated formally, you know, yes. on this and kind of given this is what anxiety looks like. This is what to look for. This is what you can do. Do you find that those um, kind of universally apply or do you find that you've had to develop your own techniques for dealing with people as you go, that, that is to say, have you, have there been any surprises for you um, in terms of how to deal with people? Have you found things that, that, that you taught might work, but didn't work or, or that you found work that you weren't even talking, that you didn't even talk about when you're going through education? I think education is a way of uh, <laughs> learning the rules and then learning how to bend the rules. Yeah. 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 Uh, you know, uh, there, 
all the techniques that are taught, all the treatment modalities, um, they work on some people mm-hmm. and do not work on others. Mm-hmm. And so the, there's, a, there's a science to it, but there's also an art to it, meaning that you take the technique and you um, use it when you see there is a receptive person for that technique. Right. So you have to read the person very well. And mm-hmm. I think rapport, which is oftentimes, um, you know, we don't spend enough time on it because you're, you're, <laughs> you're so busy as a, as a mental health professional. It's, it's yeah. just go, 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 go. The volume, the sheer volume of the patients you get to see doesn't give you that. But I find that if you took the time and build that rapport and read the person, then you can use the techniques more accurately because you have an, you know, you have a toolbox of techniques that you have, you know, mm-hmm. cognitive behavioral therapy, DBT, mm-hmm. um, hypnosis, EMDR, you name it. I mean, there's mm-hmm. act. So we have all these things that we learn in uh, psychiatry or psychology, but then if you don't read the person and you just try to force it, mm-hmm. it really doesn't uh, end up well. Um, yeah, the person keeps coming, and then after a while, you become disillusioned, and then the person becomes disillusioned, right? And uh, you know, the therapy yeah. basically fails, and then you feel like a failure as a therapist. So well, your anxiety rises up next time you see someone. <laughs> well, that's something that. it's important for people to know that the therapists get anxiety too. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, not, not impervious to 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 life for sure. It's not life proof yeah. that way. Um, you know, just. To quickly touch on it, you know, you, you are a psychiatrist, and so you have the ability to prescribe. And I and I always have a, you know, I always have curiosity about medication and how you approach that within your discipline. Um, I assume it's something that you you know uh, that you that you would use when needed. Um, but I'm just curious about how that what what that approach looks like for you. Um, exactly what you said. Um, you need to look at the situation. Uh, some sometimes uh, medications. Um, help a lot um mm-hmm. and they can really help a person get out of a funk mm-hmm. um and sometimes um they just don't the person's yeah. body doesn't accept medications i've had people who have been very sensitive to medications and um the body just rejects it mm-hmm. yeah. severe reactions to it some people um they don't reject it but they just don't respond so they you just pile up side effects and then some people really respond beautifully uh you know mm-hmm. sometimes you want to do psychotherapy and everybody talks about talk therapy counseling and they're wonderful tools but if the person has so much anxiety mm-hmm. and it's impossible to put them through that counseling session you need to have medications on board or if you know if some kid has uh, deficiency um in in terms of serotonin in their brain um and you can sit down and talk about techniques until the until the cows come <laughs> home you're not going to go anywhere with that yeah. because you have to have the serotonin in the brain uh and regulated serotonin which is oftentimes what we need in anxiety management yeah so i think i think everything has its place but it has to be an integrated approach to mental and brain health and this yeah. is what Illumind is unique at yeah that's what i wanted to get into because what you do is something that is very unique and i and i would love to hear what what you do at the LU Mind uh, centers, you know, what how, how you approach anxiety and different mental mental health issues. 
So um, the first thing we do with respect to any client that walks in is we do a full assessment because we want to really understand the person. And a full assessment really involves not just the brain health of the person and the mental health of the person, but also looking at the body, right? Mm-hmm. Um, oftentimes people forget that you know, the chemicals in our brain are made up of certain ingredients. And these ingredients come from the food that we eat. And if right. we are eating the right foods, we are getting those chemicals produced in our brain. However, what if we eat the right foods, but it's not absorbed into our bloodstream? And right. you know, we are we're taking all these very expensive supplements, <laughs> it's not going anywhere. So, right. yeah. so we look at the person uh, from both mind and body perspective when we do the assessment. We look at their uh, physical health, like the lungs, the heart, the digestive tract, and also their brain, and also their kidneys, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then once we have a full assessment psychologically and, um, I guess, medically, then we proceed to the next step, which is formulating a treatment plan for them. And that mm-hmm. treatment plan needs to involve um, the brain, the mind, and the chemicals that run the brain. <laughs> right. right? So so we kind of use a model called roads, cars, and drivers model, where we look at the roads as the neural pathways in the brain, um, the cars as the chemicals, and the driver is the psychology of the person or the habits of the person, right? Mm -hmm. So when somebody uh, is giving that formulation, that treatment formulation, you say, okay, how is this person's brain working out? Mm-hmm. Uh, the neural pathways, are they connected? Is there under-connectivity? Is there over-connectivity? Um, and we look at that through something called a brain map, a QEG brain map, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and we use that as a, um, as a suggestive tool. Uh, to, and together with the assessment, we see, okay, does this person really suffer from anxiety and are the pathways in the brain highlighting that? Mm-hmm. And then the next step, of course, is looking at the chemicals in the brain, right? So for Wait, that, we, so sorry to interrupt, but when you when yeah. you talk about looking at the pathway of the brain, yeah. are you talking about basically uh, it, it, are those pathways you're looking at like um, is that a build that you're just doing through interaction with the person, or is there are you actually like imaging in, in ways? No, they're actually so so what we do is called a QEG or quantitative EEG, and what it is is basically it, it's electrical activities of the brain are represented by different waves, okay? Mm. There's like five different waves, alpha, beta, you know, you go delta, theta, alpha, beta, and gamma. Mm-hmm. And the amount of these waves and the location of where they occur are inferring to us as to whether this person is showing anxiety or showing depression, showing autism, et cetera. Right, so it's interesting. Not, it's, yeah, so it's not diagnostic, but it, it's it's an inference tool. It gives us that right. um, kind of uh, clue, and together we take the assessment and combine the two, and that gives us a very good diagnostic tool as a okay. combination. Right, right. I got it. And then so so moving on, then you say you go to a different uh, different uh, step. Right. So the next thing we look at is the chemicals in the brain. Right. So mm. we, we talk about neurotransmitters. Right. Serotonin, for example, where the medications, SSRIs, that you know, oftentimes are prescribed for anxiety, uh, can be helpful or not helpful depending on the person. Mm. So 
the next step is, of course, looking at the neurotransmitters in your brain. And how we do this is there are some um, basic kits that we use. Uh, they're from third party. They test the neurotransmitter levels in the brain. Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily 100% accurate, but it gives us an idea of, okay, is this person really, really, really low on dopamine, for example? Or mm -hmm. is this person really low on norepinephrine or serotonin? Right, so we get an idea of the chemicals, and um, then the last step, of course, is you know looking at the psychology of the person, right? Mm -hmm. What are the core beliefs of this person about themselves, about the world around them? Like the person I talked about earlier, the core belief about the world outside was it's a menacing world, right? Um, yeah. Or if somebody has very low-grade anxiety, you know they feel quite often invalidated, judged. Um, they worry about things that things can go uh, south, you know. So it is a um, there's a core belief about everything that we are and everything that's around us, and that determines a lot of what this person's ability is to deal with anxiety-provoking situations. Because we all have stress in life, but it's how we deal with it that that determines whether we have a high level of anxiety or not. So. That is one aspect of it. The other aspect of it is habits of a person, right? I oftentimes um, tell people that we are creatures of habits. And mm -hmm. many times people put themselves in stressful situations by having um, habits that are not serving them. And so we identify those habits as well, right? Mm -hmm. um, for example, I'll give you an example. Is yeah. Someone overeating. Uh, or carb craving when they're very anxious or very, when they're stressed out. I mean, how many times have we all had that situation yeah, happen to yeah, us, right? Yeah, today, um, yes. <laughs> yeah, oftentimes, right? Yeah. But it, but recognizing that and seeing that it can lead to more problems down the road mm -hmm. um, is the key and, and seeing what we can do to change it. So, so again, we looked at the roads, we looked at the cars, which are the chemicals, and the driver, which is the person's mind, psychology, habits. Mm -hmm. And and you know, the way I would tell people is that if you had um, you know, the perfect road, let's say you have an a German Autobahn and you have a uh, you know, have the Ferrari, um, yeah. but you know, but you're a bad driver, you're gonna smash it against the first three and a hundred <laughs> kilometers, right? So so you have to take care of all three components. And that's what makes Illumind very unique. It's an integrated approach to mental and brain health. And obviously, for each of those three categories, we use different treatments, right? Mm -hmm. So for example, for um, difficulties with the roads, we use neurofeedback or neurotherapy. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's, it's a long story to tell you all about neurofeedback, but mm -hmm. basically... It's an operant learning uh, modality. It uses basically technology to train the brain in certain areas that need training. So is this an interactive process? It is. Uh, with it a is. person? Okay, gotcha. With a person, right. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, for, for example, for the cars, uh, you know, nutrition is one aspect. Medication is another aspect. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, we look at the person's gut health so that we make sure that they're absorbing well. Mm -hmm. You know, their um, detoxification center of the body, which is the liver and also the kidneys, they're working well. So those are the parts that go to for the cars. So we want to make sure that they get enough chemicals in the brain. Um, and you would be surprised um, how many studies have been done on how uh, the impact of poor nutrition um, and changing of it uh, can really 
change up a society where basically you can you can look at how individuals behave differently feel differently by just changing their nutrition mm-hmm. um or sometimes giving them medication same thing so it yeah. has to be it has to be a balanced approach and then finally counseling psychotherapy we use all these different wonderful techniques that we learn in psychiatry and psychology mm-hmm. and um, help them as they need to build a stronger mind stronger uh, spirit stronger psychology so that they can deal with the issues that arise in life mm-hmm. yeah it sounds like a really uh, it's 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 great to hear of a, of a place that you know that has that integrated approach I mean what I'm really enjoying about about talking to you today is, is the, is your scientific approach because so often, um, I think people think that anxiety and depression and all these things are strictly caused by just trauma or, you know, something bad happened to me in the past. Therefore, if I uncover it, I'll be cured. Um, when what you're talking about is, is a much more sort of, you know, uh, you know, an integrated process that happens that brings us to these, to these states in our lives that that of being chronic anxiety or chronic depression absolutely absolutely and john you know people forget about their genes <laughs> yeah yeah we love our parents but you know sometimes they don't give us the good stuff yeah <laughs> <laughs> so the so genes play a big role you know you know if your parents have anxiety you probably develop some of it as well mm-hmm. um and and so you can you know, you've been given a card um, that, uh, you, you know, deck of cards that maybe are not the most favorable for you, mm-hmm. but you can turn it, turn it around. There's hope for that too, right? So yeah. if the genes are not giving us the right neurotransmitters uh, that we need for uh, combating anxiety, then the science, the modern medical science can help us with that, whether yeah. it's medications or nutritions, either one um, or a combination of can help us with that right so you're absolutely right everything is really science-based and i think people have to recognize that we are in a very exciting era of our lives where we mm-hmm. can we can use uh, technology to our advantage um and and really um some of the stuff was not never available when you know 20 30 years ago and i was just uh, mm-hmm. a boy running around so i'm just looking at it i'm like wow this is this is cool yeah, and I and I I think the interesting thing about your your treatment approach is that it comes from that point of education and uh, and and sort of a you know you have a, a sort of a wide array of of skill sets in terms of diagnosing and and then you know integrating uh, you know sort of a, a system to help people. Uh, just curious, quickly, um, what, do people come in for set periods of time? Do they just do you treat them as you as they need to be treated? Um, how does it, how does it work like that at the clinic? Clinics, clinics, I should say. Yeah. Um, so what we do is we get, uh, people to go to the assessment. Once we determine the level of, um, I guess, anxiety that they have and the root causes of it as well, right? You know, obviously someone who has trauma is not just anxiety, but they also have background of trauma. So we have to work on getting rid of the symptoms, but we also have to look at, okay, how can we help this individual process some of their trauma? Mm-hmm. And we create a roadmap for them. Uh, we create the number of sessions that would take to the different modalities that I mentioned. And these are just a few of them. Uh, mm-hmm. 
you know, there are others as well, but we just want to make sure that it's custom made personalized medicine for that individual. So when the person comes in, they walk out with a roadmap, they know how many sessions they're going to be doing um, and they expect. And sometimes people come in, they do a few sessions and then, you know, they, they have to take a break because either, you know, um, family reasons, job reasons, money reasons, whatever the reason is, and they can come back and complete it too, right? So, but it gives them a break from the suffering. Uh, you know, they get a little bit better. Mm-hmm. They go, they come back and they complete it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it varies. Um, that's what I'm trying to say. Uh, but it's very much custom uh, based, custom design based on the individual. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I mean, thank goodness. When I when I first started experiencing anxiety depression, I was quite young, and my first real bout of depression, I was probably oh, it was like thirty five years ago. And you know what? Then it was it, it it took me a long time to get a diagnosis. First of all, like, and the second thing is, it was basically Prozac and counseling. Um, and so it, it's just so heartening to see that somebody like you uh, has taken this such a multi-prong approach and put it into one spot and, and are able to help people now i would have loved to have had that back then but um but i i you know it w- what you're doing is amazing work and and uh i really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me before i sign off i want to let everybody know that it's uh elumind.com elumind.com e-l-u-m-i-n-d.com is your webpage. uh dr edelati thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today Absolutely. My pleasure, John. Anytime. Okay. I look forward to talking to you again in the future. Thank you. You take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to our anxiety stories. If you'd like to support this podcast or Anxiety Canada, go to anxietycanada.com.